Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Bible Basics 101, Lesson 2. And before we begin, I'd just like to take a moment to pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to study your word. We ask you, dear Lord, to speak to us today, to give us understanding and revelation. Touch the ears of every every hearer, Lord. Help us to receive with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me, before we begin Lesson 2, begin with a little bit of review of lesson one. In lesson one, we talked about the Bible itself. We talked about the fact that it's not just another book. It claims to be the Word of God over 300 300 times. We hear um, in the Bible, it says, the Lord said, God spake unto them, saying, God said. So it claims to be the Word of God. We read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's verse 17. Then we also read 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, in verse number 20, that no prophecy came of old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, It also says, no scriptures of any private interpretation. In other words, it didn't just come about as man's opinion. Um, it, it actually is the Word of God. And we talked about the fact that the New Testament affirms the Old Testament. A lot of Christians just want to take the Old Testament and throw it out. But the New Testament actually affirms the Old Testament. We mentioned the fact that Jesus said these are the things which are written in the law, which covers Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He said, and in the prophets, which covers, of course, all the prophets. Um, and then he said, and in the Psalms concerning me. And some scholars see this as almost the entirety of the Old Testament. And so Jesus speaking about the Old Testament, and he said, it speaks about me. We read the book of John, chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people of the day, and the Jews, the common Jew. He's saying, search the scriptures. Uh, For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. Well, Uh, Before we begin our study of the New Testament, I want to begin by um, actually studying and looking into the Old Testament. We're not going to do an in-depth review, but we're going to do a basic kind of a flyover uh, view of the Old Testament and just pick out the major themes. And we're going to find Christ in the Old Testament, and uh, that's going to be really our focus. But before we get into that, I want to begin with the beginning, the very book of Genesis and um, if you look at the table of contents in your Holy Bible, you're going to see that the Old Testament is basically split 
into uh, four sections. You've got the Law of Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you've got Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and uh, that is the books of uh, of history. And then you've got what's what's called the books of poetry. You got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then you've got uh, after the books of poetry, you've got what's considered major prophets and minor prophets, but for the sake of simplicity, um, I'm only going to take it and um, I'm going to actually uh, uh, just split it into one section. So all the way from the book of Isaiah to the book of Malachi uh, will be considered the prophets. So again, you've got the books of law, first five books. Then you've got the books of history, which covers Joshua all the way through Esther. Then you've got the books of poetry, which cover uh, from Psalms all the way through Song of Solomon. Um, and then you've also got uh, uh, the books um, of the prophets, which covers all the way from Isaiah to Malachi. And so uh, I want to take just a few moments to actually go into the Bible itself, and we're going to talk about the first chapter and the very first verse of the Bible. And uh, remember how I said that the Bible is not just an ordinary book. It doesn't claim just to be the opinions of man. It's actually the Word of God. And what you're going to see is that the Bible does not open like any other common book. Uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and verse number 1, this is the first book, the first chapter, the first verse of the Bible. And watch the way it opens up. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the atheists cannot get around the very first book, the very first chapter, and the very first verse. Because they'll read that and they'll say, I don't believe that. But think about it this way. God put the hardest thing in the Bible to believe. He put it first. And uh, you can basically choose to believe this or not to believe it. Okay, But uh, there's basically two uh, uh, steps to faith. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, you can read this, For without faith it is impossible to please him, speaking about God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, in other words, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently, or uh, that word means sincerely, seek him. The book of Acts chapter number 17 uh, tells us that he's not far from any one of us. If we seek after him, we can find him. Uh, and it also says we are his offspring. And so if you really want to find God, you can find him. But you have to seek him with an openness, with sincerity. So many people come to God as you know an atheist or a skeptic, and they'll say, well, God, prove yourself to me. A lot of times God's not going to prove himself to them. There has to at least be an openness to it. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what facts are presented in front of you, you're still going to be skeptical about that. Um, but if you at least have an openness uh, to God's Word when you open the Holy Bible, God can prove Himself to you, but you have to be open to what God puts in front of you as evidence. There is evidence for uh, a God creating the heaven and the earth. Uh, for instance, if I could just appeal to your simple logic today. I'm not going to really appeal too much to your intellect. Uh, you'll learn all kinds of things in schools, but uh, they, they teach all these things in school about uh, the fact that um, we're products of evolution, uh, natural selection, and that uh, the, the, the earth is basically, you know, the universe, the, the earth, all of this that we have around us is nothing more than just a, a cosmic accident. And uh, you can call it the Big Bang or whatever you want to call it. But I, I want to just appeal to your simple logic. Let's think just for a moment about the Big Bang. Um, 
let's compare it to, let's say you're in your house and you're in your bedroom, you're doing a little bit of work around the house and all of a sudden you hear a bang in the living room. Uh, this is a small bang. And so you go and, and, and you know that something calls that bang. Perhaps it was your son or daughter or somebody else in the house dropped something and it caused that bang. How do you know something calls that bang? Well, it's just simple logic. I mean, you don't hear a bang without a cause, right? Well, if we do that with a little bang, why wouldn't we do that with a big bang? Even if you want to believe in the big bang. Um, if you believe that a little bang has a cause, why not believe that the big bang has a cause? And then if I could also appeal to your simple logic when it comes to the complexity of the universe. If you're walking through the forest and you find a watch on the ground, uh, you're not going to think that that watch somehow evolved uh, out there in the middle of the, the, the desert, wherever you're walking, you're, you're going to pick it up and you're going to know that that watch, because of its uh, the complexity of the watch and the fact that it has, you know, the mechanisms that, that can cause it to tell time uh, and, and, and you see all of this and the way it works, you know it had a designer. And yet, we'll look at a watch and we'll admit with, you know, its uh, uh, somewhat complexity uh, that it's uh, created, that it has a designer, and yet we'll look at the beauty of the world, and we'll look at the beauty of the universe with all of the 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 stars and the galaxies and, and the planetary systems and everything that we see around us, and then even just on the Earth, you can just look around you and see uh, the beauty of 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 the Earth. How could you look at all of that and say, well, I believe that the watch had a creator, but I don't believe that the earth had a creator. I believe this is just an accident. Uh, then again, look at the human uh, cell and, and look at DNA and, and look how, uh, how complex it is. Study it out. Look at how complex it is. And yet you're willing to pick up that watch and say, well, this watch here, I know it had a designer. I know it didn't just evolve out there in the middle of the desert. And yet you're going to look at the complexity of the universe and the complexity of the human body and the complexity of what we see around us and say, but this didn't have a designer. This is just an accident. Come on. Um, and so if I could just appeal to your simple logic, maybe this doesn't appeal to your intellect, but it's just your simple logic. And we see this argument presented in the Bible. Let's go to the book of Romans chapter number one and verse 20 that comes right. That's in the New Testament. It comes right after the book of Acts, right before the book of first Corinthians, the book of Romans chapter one and verse number 20. It says for the invisible things of him talking about God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, so that they are without excuse. I'd like to take some time to read this uh, in a different translation. And so uh, I'm going to do that here. This is the New King James Version. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Excuse. Let's read this from one more translation. I'm going to read it from the CSB now. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. There's going to be a lot of people that's going to be without excuse. They can appeal to science. They can appeal to their intellect and say, well, this is why I don't believe in a creator. I, I just believe this is all an accident. And they'll say, you can't prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that God exists. That statement's true, but neither on the flip side can they prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that God does not exist. 
And so uh, what they call this, and, and a lot of times, is you got to prove uh, what is right beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, I want to I want to appeal to that here today and just say uh, I believe that I can prove that God exists uh, and beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, if you're a skeptic and you have a you know, I want God to prove himself to me type attitude, maybe nothing I say will be enough to convince you. But they call something the Kalam cosmological argument, and this is a very popular apologetic, a Christian apologetic argument uh, that has been popularized by William Lane Craig, Dr. William Lane Craig, and um, one of, this argument basically just has uh, three points to it. Number one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Notice carefully how that argument is framed. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. Number three, the universe has a cause. Now, scientists and people alike all used to believe that uh, the universe was eternal. But uh, Einstein and his theory of relativity opened us up to the fact that the universe is not eternal, but the universe is constantly expanding. And so if you trace that back through time, obviously it got smaller and smaller and smaller as you go back and further and further in time. So obviously it had a point of beginning. Um, and so I believe it could be very easily established the fact that uh, the universe did have a beginning. And if it had a beginning, obviously it had a cause. Now, some would try to argue this point and say, well, no, no, it happened by chance. That doesn't make any sense. I, again, I go back to simple logic, not to intellect, but simple logic. Just, just think about it. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. Um, here in my lap, I hold a, a tablet. I know this tablet began to exist at some point because it was uh, crafted, it was made by an intelligent designer. And it's the same thing with our world. You see the complexity of it. And you, you, If I could just appeal to that simple logic, deep down inside, you have to know that it didn't just come into, be, into, into existence by chance. Okay. Uh, same thing with the human body. Now, some people have said, well, if it was designed, it was very poorly designed. I've heard it made about, you know, talking about the human eye. It's not designed very well. But I find this hilarious because the scientists that will criticize uh, the design of the human eye and will criticize the fact that, you know, we have, we're open to, to viruses and different things, uh, they'll criticize that. And yet, with all of our science, with all of our technology, we still cannot produce one drop of human blood on our own. Not one drop of human blood. We can't make a spinal cord, um, and and they want to. And we can't make an eye, uh, and yet they want to sit back and criticize how the eye was crafted, and and they want to say, well, if God did create it, He sure didn't do a very good job of it. A man by the name of Richard Dawkins. Uh, wrote a book called The Blind Watchmaker, and, and in it he was he was making fun of the way God made the eye and said it was very poorly designed and, and so on. And, and some scientists have really tried to push this point. But, but I tell you that even with all of our technology, we can't design anything like it. So obviously, if we can't make anything like it, somebody much bigger than mankind, someone much bigger than mankind, somebody much more intelligent than mankind had to craft that eye, had to, to make that, that human cell to operate the, the way it does, had to make DNA to function the way it does. It's still uh, incomprehensible to, to us how it all works, but it's, it, it's just incredible. It's, it's still an unfolding mystery. The universe is still an unfolding mystery. Think with all of our technology, we still don't know how big the universe is. 
Um, and then when you consider the fact of how finely tuned the Earth really is. Uh, going back to that Kalam cosmological argument, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. And point number three, therefore, the universe has a cause. Um, but now if I could talk about just how finely tuned the universe is, the fact that the placement of the Earth is so perfect in the universe, and that's what makes it habitable. Um, other planetary systems protect us. Um, the way we're positioned to the sun, if we were just a few uh, degrees further or closer to the sun, we'd disintegrate. A few degrees further away, we would freeze. Uh, and, and just the fact how we're tilted at, at just the right angle. And if we were tilted any more you know, to, to the right or to the left, it would, the, the results would be detrimental. Um, we're finely tuned for a reason and for a purpose. And there is an intelligent designer. And I, again, I don't appeal to your intellect, but I appeal to your simple logic. Just think through these simple little things, okay? And a lot of people uh, want to reason away God, but I, I want to ask you a question. Is perhaps the reason why you're reasoning away God may be because you have a bias against God. Uh, they warn in court systems that if you're going to serve on a jury, you cannot have any biases, you cannot have any previous knowledge of uh, the person that's on trial because your prejudice will be brought into your verdict, into your decision. And it's the same thing with the Bible. Be careful that you don't have any prejudice against God. Maybe there was some kind of a pain in your past. Uh, maybe somebody in your family died and you thought God should have healed them. Or, or maybe there was something else that happened in your life and you said, well, that, surely there can't be a God. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone through this amount of pain. Uh, one thing I think is interesting is how I'm in the middle of reading a book about Frederick Douglass. And uh, he, was, he was a tremendous orator, but obviously he was a slave. And uh, you go back and you read how cruelly some of these slaves were abused, and yet they wrote something called spirituals, and they would sing to God. They didn't lose their faith in God, even though they were in some horrible uh, circumstances. They were beaten brutally by people that professed to be Christians, people that they would hear pray. Uh, one of uh, Douglas's most horrible tormentors was a man that he said it made him sick. He would hear him pray. He would make his family come around religiously. He wouldn't beat his slaves on the Sabbath. He saw hypocrisy in that home, and yet he did not lose his faith in God. And you stop and think about that, how some of the great people throughout history, like Paul, look at how much he suffered. You can read about him in the New Testament. Thrice of the Jews was, I mean, five times of the Jews was beaten with rods, uh, meaning 195 lashings he suffered at the hands of the Jews, his own people. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was I stoned. Uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. And day and night I've been in the deep, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils among my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, uh, in weariness and painfulness, and fastings often, and hunger and, and thirst, and coldness and nakedness. You can read this in the book of Second uh, Corinthians. Yet, did he lose his faith? No, he didn't lose his faith. He counted it an honor to suffer for the gospel's sake. Read in the book of Acts where they were brought before trial, before the Sanhedrin, and they were beaten for believing in Jesus and preaching Jesus and warned strictly, don't you ever preach about Jesus again. And yet they went away, what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, to take suffering for his namesake. And yet today people want to sit back and blame their pain uh, on God and, and use it as some kind of an excuse not to believe in Him. Pain does not disprove the existence of God. Um, if I could just put it this way here for just a moment. Um, if you're saying, well, if there was a God, there wouldn't be suffering. If there was a God, there wouldn't be evil. 
Where do you get your definition of evil? Where do you get your definition of evil? Uh, if you know there's such a thing as evil, how do you know there's such a thing as evil? Ob obviously, there must be such a thing as absolute good in order for you to categorize something as evil. Because really, if there's no creator and we're here merely by chance and we're just products of evolution and we have no purpose, what's what's good? What's bad? What's what's evil? What's right? Does it make any difference? Can you really call the crimes that Hitler committed uh worse because I mean it's just he's just a product of evolution what purpose does it serve anyway whether you treat your man uh, uh, your brothers right or wrong um, and so I'm just trying to again appeal to your simple logic and tell you that uh, maybe you're biased maybe you're a skeptic because you, you've got some prejudice in your heart and uh, so many times I see people that are atheistic and it, a lot of times it could be maybe that uh, they grew up in a home that was very devout, very religious, uh, but they saw some hypocrisy. And so they go to college and they hear about evolution and they hear that you don't need a God in order, uh, you know, and you don't need intelligent design and all of that. Uh, we're products of evolution. We're just a big cosmic accident. We're here totally by chance, by natural selection. And, and you can hear all of these things. And you know what? A lot of people don't think about the implications of that. They don't think about, you know, if evolution's true, I'm just going to die and go in the ground and rot for a billion years. Um, they don't really think about the implications of that. But if there is a designer, if there is a God, that changes everything because the Bible tells us you can have a personal relationship with this God. You can be intimate with Him. He can give purpose and meaning to your life. He can call you to do something uh, in His kingdom. He can help you. And that's one thing that um, I found amazing as I was reading about uh, uh, Mr. Douglas, Frederick Douglass, and uh, the fact that he found hope in the Bible. He would read scriptures in Jeremiah. He'd read scriptures in Isaiah. Um, he would read about the prophet Amos. And he'd read some of these things. And he found hope in the Bible and in the Psalms and in the book of Job. He would find hope written in those pages because with them, they in identified with, uh, with Frederick Douglass in his suffering. And, and so let me just use this as a point here today to say that just because they're suffering does not disprove the existence of God. Now, I know I haven't used exhaustive intellectual arguments here, but I've just presented you with a few ideas. Uh, really, if there, if there isn't a God, there's no such thing as, as morally right or wrong. Uh, there are no moral values without God. Uh, you must have an ultimate uh, system of good in order to categorize something as evil. Um, and so I've just used a few little simple arguments here today, and I could use many, many more than that. But let's return to the Bible, and let's go back and read in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. And I'm going to read this one more time. And um, I really just wanted to talk about creation itself here today. We're going to get no further than chapter 1 of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter number 1, and I'm going to read this from the King James Version of the Bible. Follow along in the translation you have. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Let's talk about this just for a moment. In verse 2, it says, The earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now watch this. Verse 3, what does he do? Does he fix it all immediately? 
Does he say, this is a mess and, and I'm just going to fix it all in one day? No, watch. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4, and God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now I find this interesting because if I could take and apply this to the way God works in a life. Because look, the earth is without form and void. It's a mess. It's a chaotic mess. But on the first day, all God does is he says, let there be light, and he separates light from darkness, and he says, that's good. If I could apply this to a life, you know, a lot of people... Uh, get bitter at God because God doesn't immediately put their life together. And so they come to God and they say, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. I, I think I talked about it in the last lesson, talking about the fact that the proof is in the pudding. If you really want to know if something works, just try it. Well, some people do try religion. And they say, you know, I already tried that religion thing and there's nothing to it. You might ask, what, what do you mean by that? And the response will be, well, I expected God to put my family together. I expected God to fix this problem or to fix that problem. And, and uh, you know, he didn't do it. So I, I gave up and I finally walked away. Well, how long did you give God to do it? Well, you know, I was in the church a month or a year or even two years or three years. You know what? God is rarely going to do all the work at once. God's going to put first things first. Here, on the first day, all he did was said, let there be light. The earth is still in a, a, a chaotic condition. If I can use this illustration, it'd be like you go into your room and, um, you know, in your bedroom, and it, your bedroom's a mess. And you say, one day you say, you know what, this week I'm going to clean this room. That's my goal. And on the first day, all you do is you get up and you turn on the light switch and you lay back down and say, well, that's good for this day. That wouldn't make any sense, would it? But God doesn't operate the way we operate. And really, you think about it, light would only reveal how chaotic the condition of the world really was. But God, on the first day, he just says, let there be light. He separates the light and darkness. He said, and, and he said, the light's good. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Kind of reminds me of uh, the story where uh, Jesus was teaching in a house, and the house was packed, and some men... Four men wanted uh, their friend to be healed. And so they lowered him down. They, they, they tore the roof off of the house. And they, they lowered this man down through on a mat. And they laid him in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man. And rather than said, be thou healed, the first words out of Jesus' mouth was, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now the man could have gotten upset and said, well, Jesus, I didn't come to get my sins forgiven. I came to be healed. But Jesus saw that the need of the soul was greater than the need of the flesh. And if I could put it this way, you may come to God and you may think, well, God ought to do it this way. He ought to fix my family first. Then he ought to fix my financial problems. Then he ought to fix my soul. No, I'm going to tell you something. God's going to work on that soul first. And you may think you're okay, but your family needs fixing. Or you may think you're okay, but, but you know, your finances need fixing. But I'm going to tell you, God puts first things first. And he rarely just does overnight work. It'll be a piece-by-piece piece process. Notice what the Bible goes on to say. Let's go to verse number 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gatherings together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. Good. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. You notice the pattern here. Uh, each day,
day. God said he does a little something and he said it's good. He does a little more and he says it's good. Again, if I could return to the illustration of you cleaning your room, it'd be like you picking up, uh, you know, 10 pieces of trash off the floor, but there's still a hundred different pieces of trash on the floor and you say, well, I did a good job today. Lay down the next day, you pick up 10 more pieces and say, I did a good job. But, uh, but this is the way God does it. And it's, you know, the Bible says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. When you come to God and you surrender your life to God, he's usually going to put your life together one piece at a time. It's kind of like a puzzle. If I could just say a 500-piece puzzle, when you just pour all of the pieces out on the table, it's a chaotic mess. You wonder, how in the world am I going to put this whole thing together, especially if you don't have a picture to work off of? But as you begin to figure it out, you get those what those uh, those uh, uh, outside pieces put together first, and finally it starts to take a little bit of shape, and then a little bit, a few more pieces, a little more shape, a few more pieces, a little more shape. Or it's kind of like watching a painter. At first, you can't see what's in the painter's mind, and all you can see is it being worked out on the canvas. You say that's just a conglomeration of colors. That's uh, it doesn't make any sense. But just be patient with the process, and the end result will be beautiful. All right, let's go to verse 13. In the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the, uh, over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning the fourth day. Now, God didn't even create time until the fourth day. He doesn't do things the way he we think he ought to do them. Okay, uh, let's go down to verse number 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great wells and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, if you look into chapter 2, um, what you're going to see is that uh, the animals, uh, and, and, and we'll read that later, but the, the, because chapter 1 of Genesis actually gives a general overview of creation. Chapter 2 gives specifics. That's where in chapter 2 we're going to find out about uh, mankind being created. Man is created first. Adam's created first. And then the animals are brought to him, and, and but there's not found a, a suitable helper for him. And so God says, I'll make him a helpmate suitable for him. You can read all that in chapter 2, but in chapter 1, this is a basic overview of creation. And verse 23, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, and we're going to slow down a little bit here. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, what separates mankind from the rest of God's creation? Not the fact that we were made out of the dust of the ground. We'll read in chapter 2 later the fact that mankind uh, was actually uh, created out of the dust of the ground, but so were some of the animals. Um, we can read that. Let's go, to, uh, let's go into chapter 2. I'm actually going to take a little bit of time to read it here. And um, verse 19, chapter 2 of Genesis. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. See, so it says out of the ground, out of the ground. So the fact that we're made out of the ground is not what makes us unique. What makes us unique is what it says in verse 26, that we are made in the image of God. 
Okay, and also, and let them have dominion, this is the rest of verse 26, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. I'm reading quickly so we can get somewhere here. So God, verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit uh, of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay? Then chapter 2 and verse 1. So remember, mankind was created on the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, verse 3, and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, the number 7 from this point forward... It's kind of the law first mentioned. The number seven from this point forward is going to be uh, uh, translated as God's perfect number or God's number of completion. Okay, so the seventh day is God's number of completion or God's number of perfection, God's perfect number. And so if seven is the number of completion and man was created on the sixth day, that tells us that man without God is incomplete. So I want to tell you here today, you can, there's a void in your soul that only God can fill. He made you in his image. We're made up of three components, body, soul, and spirit. The body, when it dies, goes into the ground and rots. Uh, the spirit returns to God that's in it. You can read that later on in the Bible. But also, the soul uh, lives on forever. It's eternal. Just like God's eternal, the soul is eternal. God created us to need him. He created a void in your soul that only he could fill. That's why... You're, you, you may feel miserable if you don't have God in your life. Now, some people can try to cope and they can make meanings for themselves. And, and uh, you know, maybe an atheist skeptically will say, are you telling me I can't find purpose for my life just because I'm an atheist? No, I'm not saying that. You can create some kind of supposed purpose for your life. You know, I could do the same thing. I could uh, say it's my purpose in life, uh, you know, to, to, to be a scientist or to be, uh, you know, an, an entrepreneur to, or to, to, to be a farmer or whatever. I can say that's my purpose for life. But what I'm saying is uh, God has created a purpose for that he wants you to fulfill, a deeper calling than just the physical. And uh, there's a void in your soul that only God can fill. That's what I'm appealing to here today. Because the seventh day is the number of completion, and man was created on the sixth day. That tells us that man without God is incomplete. Man without God is incomplete. And so... We're going to see that in the beginning, mankind walked with God. In the next lesson, we're going to talk about the fact that Adam walked with God, Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They had paradise. They had a perfect garden. Um, you can read about that. And God only gave them one command. That's it. One command. And, of course, we know that they're going to break that command. And because of their sin, this little thing called sin is going to enter in. It's really not little. Uh, this, this thing called sin is going to enter into the picture. And because of sin, there's going to be a separation between God and man. Now, let's pray before 
we dismiss this lesson. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to study the Word of God. I'm asking, Lord, that you would speak to every heart and soul that is listening to this recording right now. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them and help them to recognize their need for you. Help them to recognize that you are the one that created the heaven and the earth, that you created us to need you. We surrender to your purpose and calling and plan. Help us, Lord, as we continue to study your word. Give us understanding and revelation and direction. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.